Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Arwain, aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 1, Mad Investor Chaos and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 34. Zon Kuthon, foul is fair, Iarwain. Zon Kuthon keeps mostly to himself, by his own choice, but also by choice of the other gods. When somebody of the same kind as yourself wanders into the void and comes back with inverted values, there is an uncertainty about whether, if you talk to the victim too much, something info-hazardous might start to happen to you. Zon Kuthon negotiates little or not at all. He has little or no use for alliances and dealings. He keeps to Igorvaikain, his true realm, and to Nidal, the material shadow of it. Before Zon Kuthon, there was Daubral, who helped fight and imprison Rovagug. It is unclear whether Zon Kuthon would in some new battle fight to preserve all the pain that exists in the world. Or if, Dobral, having once thought that the joy and beauty of the world outweighed its pain, Zon Kuthon would now think there was too much pleasure in existence, and that it ought therefore to be destroyed. Or perhaps Dobral was too optimistic, in the days when Dobral fought to defend reality, and if Dobral knew what would have become of Phrasma's world, he would have tried to destroy it, even as Zon Kuthon apparently seems content with its continued existence. No other god in creation likes Zon Kuthon. From Asmodeus's perspective, he is a pretender to lawful evil. From the other, evil god's perspective, an obsessed fanatic of no use to anyone. From the perspective of neutral gods, an impediment. From the perspective of good, a horror. Why then does Zon Kuthon continue to exist? Among the less pleasant facts of reality is that among the real reasons why the other gods don't band together to destroy Zon Kuthon is that, as the last lawful evil competitor to Asmodeus of any significance, he is a threat for other gods to hold over Asmodeus. That there is at least one other competitor they could back for Asmodeus's position if he grew too troublesome. Yomadai and Sarenrae, to be clear, would not keep Zon Kuthon around just as a foil to Asmodeus, if those four were the only gods that were. But in a world where the existence of Zon Kuthon is a constant weight on the negotiating positions of Asmodeus and Segorum, trying to destroy Zon Kuthon could be a mistake even if that were possible. Yomadai is more calculating now than when she was human, because she is better at it. She would not destroy Zonkuthon if the end result was for Asmodeus to grow stronger and for Hell to last victorious. Of course, some gods are less scared of talking to Zonkuthon than others, if they've already seen all the way to the end of the Void, where lies the Double Void, which flip Nethys's utility function sign right back. No, that's not actually what happened, but it makes about as much sense as anything else that Nethys could or would tell you about it. Hey, Zonkuthon! Nethys sends. You see this mortal over here in Cheliax, the one who fears you and is horrified by you? You're admittedly missing some context, but it would be hilarious if you sent some minions to assault his location sometime soon. And Carissa goes back to the temple to look for Mile. 
She is very tired and suspects, somehow, that this won't be a nice, quick 20-minute debrief before bed. It sure isn't. Mylol acidly tells Sever that nobody needed to promise Keltham that people were actively working to identify his god. Up until that point, they had the option of saying later that somebody spotted it as Abadar, but that they were worried about his adopting Osirian's sexual morals, or just that people were still consulting each other about if that was allowable to disclose. This is, mostly, the fault of somebody whose screaming can be distantly heard in Mylol's office, because he was fucking fed up with this whole scenario and this screaming is at least a little consoling. Much worse for that guy, he's getting a permanent notation on his file saying that he doesn't think fast enough on his feet to take point on complicated situations, like that incident with Otolman's Oracle, whom Carissa was also responsible for remembering the existence of, even if it wouldn't have been her job to try to yank the guy out of the room fast enough. Maybe it was somebody else's fuck-up who put her in a bad situation. But she is now the one responsible for recoveries. And on the Abadar thing, she muffed the recovery. You're going to spend an hour practicing with Elias, Mayol tells Carissa. He's going to throw situations at you where Keltham runs across something we've been hiding or sees something he shouldn't, you're going to come up with excuses fast. If they involve you saying that you've got to talk to me before you can figure out what you're authorized to say now, that's not great, but Elias won't hit you. Ferrer's sickening fake smile vanishes. Anytime you start saying too much in front of imaginary Keltham and making up excuses that are any more complicated than they need to be, Elias is going to hit you. I acknowledge my errors. I acknowledge I need the practice, and I know if I argue you're going to make it longer, which you are very welcome to. To my mind, we never meaningfully had the option of telling him it was Abadar. Abadar has a country right near here, and he already knows that, and it's an incredibly obvious place to go when he gets fed up and leaves. If you want him to even contemplate hiding out in a forest or extra-dimensional space somewhere and not contacting other governments— he needs to think he has an obscure god, not one running a country right next door. He's not stupid enough to fail to think that I might be lying about the sexism or that there might be a good justification for it, and it's not an argument against Abadar strong enough to stop Keltham trying to contact them. You should find him, an obscure Tian deity. I appreciate that you are monitoring a tendency towards excuses more complicated than they need to be. I am noticing a tendency towards plans that require using a degree of ability to manipulate Keltham's environs, which I would prefer he believe Golarian magic does not enable. The High Priestess asked me, this morning, if my recommendation that we explain Otolmens to Keltham overrode her very reasonable heuristics about sharing less about Otolmens, and I was not willing to persist in a recommendation against such advice— but if I'd thought through that her plan involved us consistently deploying reflexive counterspells to protect the invisibility of Atolmans's representative, while Keltham flings around fourth-circle cleric magic aimed at discovering concealed things, I would have persisted in my recommendation. If Invisibility Purge hadn't discovered Atolmans' oracle, Glimpse of Truth would have, 
You can't inconspicuously counterspell true seeing, and then it's apparent we deliberately hid him from invisibility purge discovery. If I had thought of the oracle fast enough, I would have told security to do nothing using abilities other than put people in other rooms. And if that wasn't fast enough to solve the problem, so be it. Abadar's going to keep giving Keltham spells in that genre, and honestly, the oracle is the most innocuous explanation for them. Have an invisible person running around with security constantly counterspelling and actively interfering in Keltham's efforts to discover them is an extraordinary expenditure of our effort to keep a secret. I, at this point, forcefully recommend we stop keeping. Ottolmens is the kind of institution Keltham is used to cooperating with, and we should tell him sufficient true things for him to conclude that... Your argument on Abadar is reasonable, and I have downgraded my estimate of the severity of your error. It remains that your current excuses are too visibly extemporized. Your excuses wouldn't fool me, Sever. They look like excuses to somebody who knows what that is. I'm not saying you should be choosing excuses to fool me. You should be choosing them to fool Keltham. But right now, we're only getting away with this because Keltham is an outsider. And that makes us pathetic and unworthy of the responsibility Asmodeus placed on us. Yes, you need a dose of that practice now and not just later. That you're already exhausted is part of the point. Twenty minutes with Elias today, more later, and don't mistake the reduction for mercy. It's about the degree to which you being slightly better rested tomorrow is a military priority. I've filed your request for somebody who can train you in conventional honeypot tactics. I've filed your request for the alternate Taldor history and put my own commendation and priority on it. It's not just a workable idea. It gives us an organizing principle that this chaos of an operation desperately needs. We'll tell Broom that we're fine with Keltham's terms for showing himself in front of Keltham and ask him politely not to stalk Keltham invisibly until we see how much invisibility purge Keltham throws around, assuming that's what you meant. I'll requery our policy on keeping Otolmen's existence a secret to the people authorized to make decisions that potentially destroy Golarion. You'll brief the girls tomorrow morning on your new plans. Am I missing anything, Sevar? No, sir. It is in some strange way cheering to be told that they are pathetic and unworthy of the responsibility Asmodeus placed on them, because of course all humans are pathetic and unworthy, but it only merits comment if in this context they are expected not to be. Maybe sometimes when the stakes are high enough, some humans figure out how to not be pathetic and unworthy, or at least how to be less so. She looks over at Elias. How much does he look like he would prefer this training to involve hitting her a lot? Yeah, valid. Carissa, too, if she were in a different role in this operation, would feel like hitting Carissa a lot. Keldum figures out that you don't really love him, Elias says, smiling at her. Gosh, accusations about drawing one's internal conceptual boundaries wrong are the kind of thing I'd have guessed would be complicated romance in Dathilan. In Cheliacs, no one's running around with a baseline expectation anyone could possibly have drawn them coherently in the first place. That's not even an excuse. Best excuses usually aren't. I think I should get to hit him if I have a really good one, she tells Mylol. 
Hold still, my yol says, and delivers three hard, carefully measured punches into the pit of Sevar's stomach. You just lost some of the respect I was gaining for you, Sevar, he says when he's done. Any spite you hold for him is something you can work on while you're not doing something I told you to do. Elias, if she acts unprofessional or like she's not taking the exercise seriously, punish her no less than Asmodeus's law calls for. Punish her any more, and I expect Hell will have something to say about that too, in due time. Now take this somewhere else. Myliol has infinity plus one paperworks to file. Some parlors have been repurposed into common rooms. Keltham learns about malediction. In general, there are spells for changing your alignment to what you want it to be before you die, called atonement. But they're expensive and really hard to access, so Asmodeus made a Asmodeus-specific one that's cheaper. Oh, so it only gets used on people who want to go to hell. Why in the world would you try to use it on someone who wanted to go somewhere else? There'd be an enormous god-diplomatic incident about it, I'd expect. Keltham learns that the girls aren't getting paid. Are they not? Fucking pay the girls. We aren't telling any lies that we don't need to. Slap. Not an excuse. That's bizarre, and I'll go ask site leadership what went wrong immediately. Keltham learns that the girls were drafted. When you enlist in the Chelish military, you promise to go where you're needed. That is how every military in the world functions. Do doth Elon militaries not require such oaths? Keltham learns that you're getting sex training. Well, obviously I'm getting sex training. He's had it, and I'd like to keep up. Also, I figured I should see a professional about my relaxation problem. Keltham learns primary worship of other gods is illegal. Primary worship means, like, breaking other local laws specifically on the command of foreign gods. It's mentioned as separately illegal from the breaking other local law because most of the general rules about criminal conspiracies don't apply very neatly to criminal conspiracies where you never interact with your co-conspirators and don't know anything about what exactly they're trying to achieve. Obviously, if you're not breaking any laws in the first place, then what would it even mean to make it illegal to worship a god? Keltham learns Cheliax executes people for Les Majeste. I've never heard of that actually happening. It's a thing people say about kings they dislike, and probably at some point in history was true of some of them, but Abigail Thrun's not a thin-skinned maniac whose brain stopped fully functioning 30 years ago, like a lot of kings are, and most king-related abuses are those kings. Keltham learns that the girls sold their souls. Most people make arrangements before they die, with a devil who has a specialty they're interested in, or who lives in the plane of hell they want to live in, or whatever. The alternative is getting thrown into general processing, which can be slow when a lot of people die at once, and it can be expensive and take a long time to get somewhere right for you. The girls hadn't yet because they're so young, but now they're at elevated risk of death and also have highly secret information, so I'm not surprised they made arrangements. Keltham learns that that vision was of Asmodean hell. Keltham, we've got to get out of here. Security will have scrolls of teleport on them, and I know how to read one. Do you have something from your god that'll take someone on security down if we take them by surprise? I assume there's a plan from there. Well, not yet, but hopefully there will be by the time it's relevant, if it is. Does security carry scrolls of teleport? If not, I'm not sure how we can make our implausible escape. Sometimes, but we're in a forbiddance. I do have a plan for that. 
I'm going to fly out with him clinging to me, both invisible and then cast the teleport from midair. Luckily, no one will see us. That's a lot of thought to have put into your romantic escape with Keltham. Look, if you think I'm a traitor, it doesn't make any sense to mildly chide me about it. And if you don't, then it doesn't make any sense to mildly chide me for looking it. I think you're enough of a chameleon to be a traitor if the circumstances presented themselves. Canned. Keltham finds out you tortured some orphans to death for practice. I absolutely have not done that. Keltham finds out most people don't want to go to hell. Good is popular because they run soup kitchens and orphanages and so on. People think of them as the people who helped them when they needed it, so they want to be good. But that doesn't actually get you good. It's not good itself. It's just vague identification. Keltham finds out you reported people to the authorities for disloyal thoughts. Some demons at the World Wound can fuck with your mind. We have a monitoring system set up to catch anyone who gets infected before they slit all their bunkmates' throats in the night and eat their eyeballs. Yes, that has happened. Yes, I've reported people for further monitoring who I thought had thought patterns that might point them that way. Carissa loves her job. Ione doesn't mind this part of her job at all. In accordance with the general instruction to tell no lies that security explained to her, apparently Carissa Savar is running this show now, which... But fine. Ione is actually remembering and writing her own descriptions, without secretly grabbing the cleric spellbook and cheating. Though that makes some sense, even. If Ione's descriptions looked too much like the book descriptions, after the book gets returned to the library, Keltham might notice. An hour isn't really much time to write down that many cleric spells and one-sentence descriptions. Ione already suspects some of the edits they'll want from her. She lists as many spells as she can. She writes down spells like augury and conditional favor on a separate piece of scrap, since her guess is that those spells won't get passed, and if she guesses right, she can maybe save herself rewriting the whole list. And she's out of time. Security wants her later drafts, too. Ione, on reflection, is feeling concerned about Cheliax's chances of fooling Keltham if Abadar grants more carefully chosen spells, like Abadar's truth-telling. The Asmodeans may be out of their depth here. Possibly she, as a smarter Nathesian, should actually grab that library book and start working out strategies for Cheliax to follow if Abadar grants Keltham a spell like Lesser Planar Alley, or a conditional favor that Keltham uses with a condition of Don't Lie to Me. Well... Asmodeus isn't actually stupid like some of his worshippers, Ione doesn't think. Maybe he'll grant the clerics here appropriate spells like False Future in case Keltham gets augury, and Undetectable Alignment in case Keltham uses Aura Sight on Ione, and obviously Spell Gauge, so they're not caught off guard by what Keltham receives. Though Spell Gauge only goes up to Third Circle, and you'd need a Seven the Circle caster to get all of Keltham's spells up to there. Does Cheliax have a plan B? Is Ione part of it? She's an obvious person that Keltham might try to whisper to, if Keltham notices something wrong. She should ask about that later. Security comes and takes a look and adds back in Aurasite, since he already knows that it exists, but not Invisibility Purge, since ideally it wouldn't look like they added everything he knows exists. Other than that, they're satisfied. Is there a plan if Keltham gets suspicious of something and wants to talk to me about it? Ione says, as she starts to recopy that particular page. Voice of reassurance. Worried ally who will help him investigate. Help him investigate. 
If he wants to flee, flee with him, but convince him that no other church or government is worth going to either. There'll be a more detailed briefing on the plan and various contingencies in the morning. Oh. Oh. Lord Nethys does have some secret plan that encompasses his intricate understanding of every move that lesser beings make, thinking their choices their own. Going to fantastic lengths to make sure Keltham can get five books a day faster than security could order them from Chelish libraries. Doesn't make that much sense as the sole object of an expensive divine intervention. So Ione had supposed that she was going to be there to influence Keltham in a subtle way. Or maybe see something that Asmodeans wouldn't see because they're too busy gouging each other's eyes out. If you get Keltham to flee to a remote wilderness hideout, or some old dungeon that's blocked from scrying, he's not going to get much research done unless he has a library oracle with him, Ione observes. Keltham knows that. He'll come to me early on. Maybe first. I'll need enough books to turn some room wherever I go into a library. I think one full bookshelf should do it, but two would be better. She wants to ask, rather acerbically, if any Asmodean even noticed that their plan wouldn't work without Lord Nethys propping it up. But she is not quite that courageous yet. Yes. We're creating modified books as fast as we can. I'll try to get you a list. If you have thoughts on a plausible use of your powers to help Keltham escape, we want that to look organic and not strikingly lucky. I can't directly travel through polyfractal library space until I'm more powerful, Ione replies, before she quite realizes what she's been asked. Keltham is still trying not to access any audiovisual memories of his vision of wherever, whatever that was. Probably not literally a video, because because you probably shouldn't be able to scry like that across a forbidden, okay, blatant rationalization, but it creates a self-consistent branch of reality. He can tell his emotions to shelter inside while he absorbs the blow. By way of distraction, he first wrote down memory anchors for all his pending sex questions to submit to Carissa later, while they're not in the middle of sex. This being, in Dath Ilan, a completely reasonable and well-known tactic to overcoming the distracting conversations that are the fundamental obstacle to sex. Plus, he needed to do that before they slipped his mind. Currently, he's trying to invent a signaling code that his god can use to send him information via that god-choosing Keltham spells. Since he doesn't have his spell list yet, what Keltham can do right now is note down which conditions he would like to distinguish, which is, in any case, a good first step for designing a code. The first thing he should do is reserve a condition for my god can't communicate with me in this way, Arguendo. This could obviously be done by expending one spell slot to signal just this communication channel works at all, which spell's absence then means that nothing else worked. Counter-arguendo. That might be redundant if the other consistent states of the code seem sufficiently unlikely to arise by chance or optimization around other criteria, since the absence of a consistent code state would automatically imply channel failure. Keltham isn't going to pick some intricate code that makes full use of every possible bit of information in every spell choice, since that might not make it across the prayer communication medium going the other direction. Counter-counter-arguendo During initial establishment of this communications channel, probably a lot of bits should be expended on error codes. Suppose for now that some very exotic spell gets picked to signal the condition... This works as a communication channel at all, and its absence indicates failure of the whole scheme. Or maybe, if he gets a long enough spell list, 
he can have a choice of four otherwise unused spells signaling. Question 1. Does this communications channel work? Spell 1.1. This communications channel should work fine. Spell 1.2. This communications channel works at all, but may have errors. Spell 1.3. This communications channel is very expensive. Use it very sparingly. Spell 1.4. This communications channel is both expensive and error-prone. 1. None of the above. Basic channel failure. Plus, actually, spell. 1.5. Some element of the code you used is problematic. Try again with a different code. Other spells received should not be interpreted. And Keltham should not ask too many questions on the rest of this first try before he finds out whether cases 1, 3, 1, 4 hold. What does he really, really need to know? Question 2. What overall strategy is appropriate to his current situation? Spell 2.1. Take your current situation at face value and cooperate with the surrounding project. Spell 2.2. Your current situation is not what it seems. Use tomorrow's code for more info, but it's still good to go on doing research. Spell 2.3. Exercise your supposed right to leave as soon as you can use tomorrow's code to figure out where to go. Stall them on more valuable info in the meanwhile. Spell 2.4. They wouldn't actually let you leave. Ask about escape or other options using tomorrow's code. Stall info. Spell 2.5. You are in imminent danger. Immediately ask to leave your current location and go somewhere else in Cheliax or a lawful neutral country, if accessible, taking with only Carissa as a guide and not telling anyone else where you're going. Spell 2. None. None of those are good ways of looking at it. Keltham has of course realized that there's variants of 2.5, which imply he shouldn't take Carissa with him either. But if the situation is that bad, they won't just let him leave. And if they won't just let him leave, he's going to need more communication to figure out what he should do instead. It's not like he can see any obvious escape plan as things stand. Actually, now that Keltham thinks about it, he was planning to use a more elaborate code, and ask more questions besides those two. But maybe he shouldn't even be asking any more than this, on a first try at a channel. It might not support that much weight. Well, that does leave some room to potentially factor things, and maybe Keltham's own communications will be a bit clearer if he considers more branch points and fewer total leaves. Version 2. Question 1. Does this communications channel work? Spell 1.1. This channel works. Spell 1. None. Total channel failure. Question 2. Is this channel significantly expensive to Keltham's god? Spell 2.1, yes. Spell 2.2, a little expensive. Use it only as needed. Spell 2.3, not at all, use it lots. Spell 2, none. Wrong question, channel failure. This question wasn't worth answering. Question 3, is this channel error-prone or noisy? Spell 3.1, no. Spell 3.2, yes, be careful. Spell 3.3, it fails only negatively. You may miss a spell you should have got, but not receive one you shouldn't have received. Spell 3. None. Wrong question. Channel failure. Not enough priority. Question 4. Could this channel handle more complex codes tomorrow? Spell 4.1. Yes. Spell 4. None. No or not priority. Question 5. Should you be cooperating with your apparent co-workers, or stalling them on things that are really valuable dangerous? Spell 5.1. Cooperate at least for tomorrow. Inquire in more detail later. Spell 5.2. Begin stalling. 
Inquire in more detail later. This question is sufficiently important that 5. None is a good candidate for just signaling total comms failure, but redundancy. The other variations on V1's question, too, don't actually imply any immediate change of policy besides stalling, except, of course, for Question 6. Imminent danger at current location. Spell 6.1. Yes. Flee with Carissa and tell nobody else where you're going. Spell 6. None. Carrying out 6.1 wouldn't be a net improvement. That's actually 11 total spells to take on signaling meaning, compared to version 1. Okay, the fine detail in spell 3.3 is not something he needs to know literally during initial handshake, which cuts V, 2 down to 10 spells total, and makes it superior to V, 1 because of the lower local branching, clearer meanings, and more critical meta-info being conveyed earlier. Besides eliminating spell 3.3, are there other improvements to be made here? Actually, Eliminating two slash eight thee thees of the total code seems like the sort of thing that could easily cross some key threshold for feasibility on the first try. So if he cuts down on Q2, version 3, probably final. Question 1. Does this communications channel work? Spell 1.1. This channel works. Spell 1. None. Total channel failure. Question 2. Is this channel significantly expensive to Keltham's god? Spell 2.1. Not at all. Use it lots. Spell 2. None, yes. Somewhat wrong question. Channel failure. Question 3. Is this channel error-prone or noisy? Spell 3.1. No. Spell 3.2. Yes. Be careful. Spell 3. None. Yes. Wrong question. Channel failure. Not enough priority. Actually, on further reflection, he doesn't really need 3.2 here either, since 3. None can safely convey that information mixed into a wider bucket. Question 4. Could this channel handle more complex codes tomorrow? Spell 4.1. Yes. Spell 4. None. No or not priority. On yet further reflection, Keltham can just ask this question tomorrow, if he gets a no on things being noisy. If yes on things being noisy, but not expensive, he should construct a redundant code tomorrow instead of a complicated one. Question 4. Should you be cooperating with your apparent co-workers, or stalling them on things that are really valuable dangerous? Spell 4.1. Cooperate at least for tomorrow. Inquire in more detail later. Spell 4.2. Begin stalling. Inquire in more detail later. Spell 4. None. Redundant signal of total channel failure. Question 5. Imminent danger at current location. Spell 5.1. Yes. Flee with Carissa and tell nobody else where you're going. Spell 5. None. Carrying out 5.1 wouldn't be a net improvement. And or this channel element failed. Okay. This is a code Keltham can believe in, relative to his own level of designability. It front-loads the most important meta-questions first, delays as many complications as possible beyond the fragile first attempt, and only requires him to keep five questions and six spell meanings in mind to communicate across his own side of the prayer channel. Keltham goes to seek the spell list from Ioni. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.